morning, Restoration. Happy Thanksgiving week. Kids are officially out of school for a long time and the holidays are happening. So happy Thanksgiving to you all. I'm coming at you from my living room this morning. A little switch up from, from Ryan. So hopefully you've read the passage for this morning. We're gonna jump right into it and I hope you're following along on the house church guide makes it easy for us all to be on the same page. So we're reading Philippians 4, 4 through 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When Ryan first told me I was going to be speaking on this passage, I was so excited. It's always been one of my all-time favorite passages. I literally had Philippians 4 collaged on my wall in high school because <laughs> I loved it so much. And I remember being in an acting group and we each had to share a little message about our favorite passage, and this was the one. So it's always held a special place in my heart. So initially I was so excited to talk about it. And then <laughs> I was like, oh wait, it's 2020 and everyone is anxious. <laughs> and I don't know if I wanna talk about this. Um, and then people that I love, their stories, and their walks started circulating through my mind. And I thought, how am I going to talk about not being anxious to my friend that just had her seventh miscarriage? Or to my friend that is going through a completely unexpected divorce? Or to my friend who is on Zoloft every day because anxiety is such a, a daily struggle or to my friend who is uncovering childhood trauma and abuse for the first time and trying to walk through that. There's just, there's so much that all of us are going through, um, very anxiety producing circumstances and it's humbling to speak on this topic and I, I want to handle it with tact and humility because I know there's a there's a spectrum of anxiety. Um, there are anxiety disorders and it's hard to speak to this topic because it's something that all of us experience on some level. So some of us though, we may be checking out and saying, I'm not really an anxious person. And I I would have said that up into about two years ago. Um, and my journey with anxiety intensified in the last four years. And I found myself at a point of having panic attacks and um, it became very real. And so I just want to, <laughs> I want to um, approach this with tact, like I said, because it's a very difficult topic. Um, the way of the world is anxiety. Everything that uh, the world is motivate, motivated by is anxiety-driven. And I don't think I have to explain to you or illustrate 
how polarized our culture is, how tense our culture is, how anxious our culture is. Um, we don't really need explaining there. But the question I, I want to ask is, have you actually woken up to your own anxiety? Have you taken ownership for how you contribute to this systemic anxiety? Um, and there are some simple ways, some socially acceptable ways that our anxiety comes out. For instance, do you find that you always have to be right? Or are you always over-functioning and holding yourself to a standard of perfectionism or holding others to a standard of perfectionism? Are you under-functioning and checking out and uh, drinking wine every day and watching Netflix? I saw a meme uh, during quarantine that was like, well, I did Netflix. <laughs> I don't know what to do next. But truly, are you escaping? Uh, are you angry at the people that you love or at strangers? Are you easily offended? These are all socially acceptable ways that our anxiety plays out. And I would dare say that each of us struggles with anxiety uh, in some way or the other. But why, if it's so socially acceptable, if it's the norm, why should we even care about our anxiety? Uh, think about it. What does anxiety do? It pulls us out of community. It isolates us. It pulls us out of unity when we're so easily offended and uptight. And it pulls us off mission, the mission of living out the gospel, of living as citizens of the gospel of the king. When you're anxious, like, do you want to be with people in a healthy way? Are you able to think outside of your own circumstances and your own struggles? It, the answer is no. <laughs> it narrows our view uh, to a very small little sphere that is, that is just us. Um, and we go through these narratives in our minds like, well, will I be able to do such and such? Or what will people think of me? That's a big, big anxious thought. Uh, what if this bad thing happens to me? But Paul shows us that there's actually a, a different way to be human. And he doesn't just show us, it's he commands us. It's a command. And this passage, <clears throat> I would say, is kind of like a formula laid out for us on how we deal with our anxiety. But to understand this passage and <laughs> to have it move from like a nice, coffee cup, inspirational quote passage to a meaningful, I can sink my teeth into this, I can change my habits uh, through this passage. We have to understand the context. And just as a little refresher, let's remember that Philippians 1 through 3 have all been centered around arguably his thesis statement in 127, whatever you do, Whatever happens, live as citizens of the gospel of the king. And the NIV says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of the king. And the whole letter is sprinkled with military and friendship language. Um, it says stand firm over and over and over again. 
Um, and like Ryan said, that's the idea of linking arms and not moving no matter what happens, no matter what force comes at you, you are linked fighting against what comes at you. It says press on. It says be of one mind. It says be of one spirit. Uh, these are all community and unity words. Agree with each other in the Lord. The basic message is, if we were to put it into just Mandy terms, work out your relationship issues so that you can join forces with fellow believers to further the gospel, to be on mission in community. And that's a nice anecdote. It sounds really good. Uh, but how do we actually do that? How do we actually want to do that? The more I read scripture, the more I realize that furthering the gospel is less about going out and evangelizing the streets and less about apologetics and debates, um, less about uh, events and experiences, spiritual experiences. And it's a lot more about confronting my own crap with Jesus, with people, so that I can actually live in freedom, so that I can actually live in joy. And the, the people of God are to be marked by joy. In this short little book, four little chapters, the word joy is used six times. The word rejoice is used eight times. So that's 14 times. <laughs> Paul is a joy-filled person. And we know that when a word is repeated in this passage, it says, rejoice, I will say it again, rejoice. We know that when it's repeated, we pay attention to it. It's important. And it's not just a nice Christian platitude. <laughs> it's joy is essential. It's a command and it's how the kingdom comes to earth. But our circumstances of suffering are not going to change. How can we rejoice in them? We have to remember the context. We have to remember about being on mission. And we have to lift our sights. But <laughs> as a caveat to that, rejoicing is not a rejection or a denial of difficult circumstances. We are not, we're not people living in denial. We're not going to live in la-la land. Uh, rejoicing is an acknowledgement. It includes an acknowledgement that suffering is just part of the package. It's inherent. Jesus's whole life included suffering. Um, so rejoicing is not a name it and claim it. We're just going to be positive. We're just going to ignore all the issues and focus on the good. We're going to be happy. <laughs> if you've met people like that, it makes you want to throw up in your mouth a little bit. No, this type of rejoicing means that we can actually engage the world and walk through suffering because we're not expending all of our energy trying to avoid it because we're scared of it. And we can experience joy and live out the whole jumble <laughs> of experience that this life 
offers because we're not wasting our energy. Rejoicing, we know that rejoicing and suffering will go hand in hand for our whole lives. When we are on this side of heaven, suffering is a part of the package. Citizens of heaven will suffer on earth. <clears throat> and like what Ryan said, we're not just we're not just passing through trying to get to heaven. <laughs> we're living intentionally here in the mix of it all. So next it says the people of God are to be marked by their gentleness. And I'm honestly, I'm not going to speak that much about gentleness this morning, but I, I want to ask you, are you a force of gentleness in your world? Are you um, unoffended and open to different people? Are you kind? We are to be marked by our gentleness. Um, and there's some about the placement of this um, sentence in the passage. I think I thought it was kind of oddly placed. And there's some scholarly debate about the positioning of uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. Is it rejoice in the Lord and be gentle? Because it, I'm sorry, the Lord is near is an interesting placed sentence in this. So is it rejoice in the Lord and be gentle because the Lord is near? Or is it because the Lord is near, do not be anxious and pray. And, um, and I just say yes to both. I think the placement of the Lord is near is just a wonderful encouragement. He's near ultimately <laughs> as the end comes and he's near now with us. Um, and so now we'll move on to the audacious command. Do not be anxious about anything. I think it's kind of an irritating command. Because <laughs> uh, let's be real. Some of us, we don't want to drop our anxiety. It's our norm. It's our comfort zone. It's how we have learned to operate. It's much more easy to be afraid than to be free and to be powerful. Um, but this mode of operating is completely zapping our ability to further the gospel. It's completely bringing the focus in to ourselves and off of other people and off of mission. And I want to say if if that comment makes you feel shame about the anxiety you experience, I'm going to loop back to that at the end. Um Paul says, in everything, that means every single time that we feel anxiety, we are to be conscious of it and basically follow the formula that he lays out. So this means that our anxiety is a cue. It's a cue to begin a conversation with Jesus. And I love that. It's just an alert. It's an alert. Oh, I'm feeling this. It is time to bring this to the Lord immediately in everything. And he uses the word petition. And I love that. The definition of petition is to beg or request. And it gives me this image of small children 
Harper, for instance, if you know, she's a strong little one. She will grab my face like this <laughs> and tell me exactly what she wants just to make sure that I haven't overlooked her, that I hadn't forgotten her, that I've clearly understood her. And she'll do it repeatedly. And what an amazing father we have that he will accept that form of prayer from us. Do we ask like children? Do we petition him? Do we beg? He cares. He cares about the things that we want. He cares about what we bring before him. I love that he accepts that form of prayer. But <laughs> we can't just leave it at the four-year-old version of grabbing his face and begging. The most important part of this passage, in my opinion, is with thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is what elevates our begging to a more mature stance. Thankfulness and gratitude, they're not really an option for us. They, as believers, they are the basic posture of the believer. Thanksgiving is an acknowledgement that every good and perfect gift is from above. It's not of our own doing. It puts our prayers and our requests into a, a proper context. Thanksgiving says, you are a good father. And so I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask for what I want and what I need, even though you're God, you're a good father. And it also says, you're a good father and I'm going to trust your response. I'm going to accept your response. Uh, so communication with Jesus based in thankfulness is the ticket to peace. It's not the ticket to getting exactly what we want or the ticket to escaping difficult circumstances. It's a ticket to peace and it's a peace that passes understanding. It's a miraculous peace, a supernatural peace, a peace that is a gift to us. Have you ever experienced this? Um, it really doesn't make sense. Uh, that moment <laughs> when you are all tied up in knots, uh, at the end of your rope, life sucks. And you take it to God and you lay it down and it's like all of a sudden you can tackle what's next. All of a sudden you're not worried about the huge, daunting, <laughs> overwhelming future. You're able to live in the present. Um, it is a peace that passes understanding and it guards our hearts and it guards our minds from going always back into that cycle of worrying. Ryan has challenged us to be a non-anxious community and how have we done with that? I haven't done great. <laughs> he has reminded that of us, reminded us of that at so many staff meetings weekly. And I'm just thinking to myself, like I am failing in that department. Um, there have been moments over the last few months that I've taken the bait from the media to get sucked into this polarized narrative. And I have isolated myself and I have wallowed in my own circumstances and I've been anxious. And 
I wish you all could have the opportunity to speak to people about a passage because the accountability of it is no joke. It's been a gift to have this on my mind, the do not be anxious. Um, but I think the narrative can switch about feeling guilty as believers that we're worried and that we're anxious and that we're consumed by that. And God has switched that narrative for me. It's moved from, I shouldn't be anxious. You know, I work at a church. I shouldn't be anxious. I know the truth. Uh, two, anxiety is a cue for relationship. And I even, I even took a quote out of this talk because uh, at first I thought it was so great and the more I thought about it, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And it's by some very scholarly guy, J.A. Bengal. He wrote the New Testament word studies. So he knows his stuff. But his quote says, anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. And I have to say I disagree. I don't think that they are opposed to one another. I think that as believers and as we choose to mature, as we choose to turn to God in our anxiety, anxiety and prayer, they're just swirling together all the time because anxiety is a given. I've never met anybody that's never been anxious and will never be anxious again. The most mature, deep Christians that I know they all struggle with anxiety and it all comes out in different ways. It's, it's just a given. And yes, as we turn it to the Lord, peace can come and it does come. And it's a promise that it does come. And <laughs> tomorrow you might wake up with anxiety again. And isn't it like Jesus to use our struggles to welcome us into deeper relationship with him. And I have to say, I have been very intentionally practicing turning my anxiety to God and the anxiety has not fully gone away and it comes back and I'm gifted with peace and it comes back. And I've been in such constant conversation with the Lord and um, anxiety is an invitation into relationship. If you take anything away from today, let your anxiety be a cue um, and it can be a gift. It can be a gift to turn our attention off of ourselves, to offload <laughs> all of this focus on ourselves, to offload it onto God and then be able to engage with people. And let me say, offloading it to God in, can involve and should involve people. Let people come along with you on this journey. I had a friend talk me off the ledge last week. Not the literal ledge. I wasn't on a ledge. I was just in a real, real tough spot. And if I would not have had her voice in my life, if I would not have shared my anxiety with her, God wouldn't have been able to use her to give me his peace. So let's be aware of our anxiety and let's let it bring us into 
deeper, more intimate, more consistent relationship and conversation with Jesus so that we are not swirling around in it, in isolation, in our own heads, so that we can live on mission. Let me pray for us. God, I've been praying for restoration um, about anxiety for the last weeks. And I know that you hear those prayers and I know that you care about our community. And I pray that you would bind us together in unity as we continue to work on our issues, as we continue to engage, as we continue to rejoice in the midst of suffering, as we continue to be gentle. Thank you, Lord, that you are near to us. In Jesus' name, amen.